Amen. If you have your worship folder, pull out this uh, brochure that's called Restore, Renew the Maple Street Children's Center. Uh, several years ago, as, as a church uh, ministry council, we began praying about what God really wants everything to be about here at Lake. And I've told you about this. We came to this profound new thought. We're supposed to be about making disciples of Jesus. And well, Jesus told us to do that, in case you didn't know. So um, we want that to happen. People whose lives follow Jesus, when you become a part of this church, that you'll learn more about him, you'll have your life shaped by him, and we want that to happen from everybody from childhood through senior adulthood. Now, as we began looking at our, our facility, we recognized that we have this growing number of young families and children coming into the church, and our facility, where our ministry to children and, and uh, their parents is, is deteriorating terribly. I mean, it's a fortress. The Maple Street building was built like a fortress, but I'm, it's deteriorating still, so it can be renovated and renewed. But it needs to be renovated and renewed. If you don't believe me, go and look at it. And you will say, it needs it. So we have this project that we're taking on. And even though we know a lot of our classes are gone today on retreats, still we're going to have three weeks to think and pray about this together. And so if you will look at this, this is such a wonderful brochure that's been put together. It tells you about our legacy here going back so long, the ministry that's going on now. The project that's ahead of us and the cost that is there. Um, we always have, we know that God would have us do this, but the anxieties sometimes we have as human beings, yes, Lord, you've shown me, will you provide for that? Is the question we have now. So we're beginning the funding of this. It's going to be about a two and a half million dollar project. Uh, we're, we'd, we'd like to have a third of that, the gifts in. But by the end of May or the end of June, uh, uh, we'd like a third of that to have pledges in. And the other we're willing to take a loan, but I, I'm praying that we don't have to. There's this one place in the Old Testament where Moses asked people to give. And, and do you remember what happened? Did you even know that story? They gave so much that he said, stop, uh, we have too much. I've always prayed I'd be able to do that. I never have. I never have. But it could happen this time. So... We want you to be prayerfully considering the two ways you can give, and I think it's also clear, a gift by the end of May, and then a pledge over two years. We already have some of our children giving to this. One of our children is giving $1 a week for two years. He was shocked to find out that he's giving $104. That, that's really marvelous, don't you think? When that building was built in the Great Depression, people gave everything from $0.05 cents all the way up to much, much more. And it, and it was built in an economically distressed time. And I know God will provide for us with this. Already, I'll tell you, um, your ministry council, 100% have given. The pastors, 100% of the pastors have given as well. And there was one lead gift. So already, we have in hand over $600,000 in, in gifts and pledges. So there's a good beginning. There's a good beginning for this. But... Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have an opportunity for us all to give. You can give as you leave today if you already know what you'd like to give. If you'd like to give at all, we'll do something else. Uh, but uh, to, to take that out. And Steve Scheidler from our church who grew up in our children's ministries and who's now an Emmy-winning uh, uh, producer has put together a vid couple of videos for us. And you get to see the first one today. And it will help you to see what God has done and will do in that facility.
when I first see it now, I think noises, children, sounds. I would hear singing coming from all three floors at the same time. There always was the echo of children. And I thought if these walls could talk, boy, what a story they'd have to tell. In 1930, the old corner church was growing, and soon the congregation recognized a need. A new building was required. And so in 1931, the young church stepped out on faith. This was called the New Christian Education Building. It was everything that wasn't church. Over the years, it has seen many uses, as offices, as classrooms, as a theater. It has even been used for banquets, meetings, youth groups, Bible studies. But more than anything else, it is the spirit of children that has defined Maple Street. The, the image that comes to my mind when you say Maple Street Building is weird, cold exterior of this building that in no way reflects what goes on inside. I remember just kind of being grossed out by the smell, by the moisture that lingered in the air. But all of that changed the first Sunday that I worked when I saw the building filled with kids. Suddenly the, the paint peeling off of the walls and the smell and the coldness of the building didn't matter anymore because the kids were there and they warmed it up instantly. On any particular Sunday, if you were to walk the halls and stairwells of the building, you would hear the sounds of laughing, singing and playing. Maple Street Building is a place that our kids ran to when we come to church. They wanted to be here. My great-grandparents found this church by driving up Lake Avenue, and they looked and saw what was the old North Church, and they saw the stained glass window. And in the old stained glass window that's in Orland Hall right now, were our children, Jesus with the children. And they looked and they saw, if this church cares enough to put children in their main stained glass window, this is a church that we want to be at. I saw the children become so excited about learning about Jesus and knowing Jesus as a personal friend. I saw them seeing how God connected with their lives. It is a place where hearts and minds come alive with the gospel. It is a place of discipleship. It is obeying God. He tells us to make disciples. One generation does it for the next and for the next. One of the first things that we wanted to do when we knew that we were going to be in this room, we had a sign that was made, Jesus in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1:27, And that was our theme for our young people. Here, children from numerous backgrounds and circumstances have learned that the God of the universe knows them by name. One of my children actually uh, gave his life to Jesus in this building in a summer in a summer program, and we have the letter to prove it, so it, it's certified. But I think of what this church and the ministries here meant to my two children, and I would want that for everyone. Generations of service have taken a toll on the old building, and it is in need of some care. But the congregation who undertook the building of Maple Street gave us some advice. In the fall of 94, 
we had to go three miles to the First Congregational mm -hmm. Church to Sunday school, and I sometimes walked it. You see, nearly all of the people around lived on five acres or ten acres. I went to these houses on my bicycle, scared to death. I said, no missionary that ever went to the heart of Africa was any more scared than I was. <laughs> Raptor rang the bell and asked if there were any children there and would there be any that would be interested in the Sunday school. And I found that there were. The first Sunday, we had 32 people for Sunday school. And we never had less than that. And we never had to ask anybody for money. We brought our nickels and dimes and paid our weight. See, I had only walked over three miles to Sunday school a little while until I got busy. <laughs> we have the same challenge put to us. Do we step out on faith, bringing our nickels and dimes, and trusting in God that the next generation of Maple Street Building will make a mark on Pasadena? Do we? So great. Um, when you heard 94, the fall, that's 1894 that that took place. That was where we started. Well, now we have the privilege of, of hearing our Father's word. Um, it's in Isaiah chapter 55. Yes, I've moved from James one more week. This is the culmination of the National Week of Prayer. And I wanted to go to this text. It's one of my favorite texts uh, in which God calls us to seek him. Because I think he's doing that to us. Isaiah chapter 55. Let's stand because we know that this is our Father's word. To people in distress, his people, Isaiah wrote this, beginning with verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seeds for the sower and and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, there will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, one thing that I have learned over my years of being here at Lake Avenue Church is that the people of this church like food. See, I've learned a lot about you. When we have food, people show up. We like, we like partying and banqueting and all sorts of things. And maybe that will make this message really a good one for you. Because, do you know, the Bible tells us that when all the battles of this world and the difficulties of this world are over and God's finished what he's doing, he defeats the evil, which he's going to do, that we're going to have a great celebration. A great, great celebration. Uh, in fact, the book of Revelation talks about it. Just when God is done and disease is gone and death is gone, none of that is here anymore, then we will have the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be fantastic. Now, now when you, if you like to read uh, literature, you know, the great epic stories, battle and good, uh, of good and evil, almost all of them end uh, with goodness triumphing and, and then having a great banquet, a great celebration. Uh, the Star Wars saga... When the return of the Jedi is done at the end, you know that big celebration? Anybody watch that? Or or, or the Lord of the Rings with Tolkien at the end after that huge battle. Then they go to the Shire. And they are just eating and they are feasting. Because hobbits, I think, really love food. Kind of like us. Well, well, Isaiah, writing 800 years before Jesus, uh, talked about the fact that, that yes, uh, this world sometimes is hard. But God knows what he's doing, and when he's done, there is going to be, and the way he put it here, did you notice, a great banquet. And I tell you, it's better than any banquet that that Food Channel could ever teach us how to do. I even have a picture of you here just to try to make you hungry, knowing that 12 o'clock is coming here. It gives us a little bit of the menu, so that in the first verses, there's going to be wine there. And there's going to be milk for those who wonder if God will approve of having wine at his banquet. Do you see it? It's, it's right there. Um, there's going to be a coronation there. And we understand that too in Pasadena. It's going to be better than the Rose Queen coronation at the, at the Rose Parade. And, and because it's going to be the coronation of the king who is over all kings. And I tell you, there's going to be great celebration. Did you notice at the end of Isaiah 55... The, the mountains, I have a picture here of our mountains around us here in Pasadena that are so beautiful. It tells us that when he's done, the mountains and the hills will burst forth into a song. 
Now, I know some of you are distressed by that because if it's mountains singing, it, it, it's probably rock music. <laughs> I was almost ashamed to say it, but the third time I have. And, and then the, the, then the, the uh, trees of the fields are going to be clapping their hands, he says, so you know non-clappers, you'll have to get used to it. It's going to last for an eternity. <laughs> you might not want to go, right? But, but it's all picture language. It's just joy-filled picture language. And the great point, if you just know how to read this text, is that everybody's invited. Uh, he talks about through the line of David, Isaiah said, through the line of David, someone's going to come. And do you know who that is? It was Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he's going to open up the path to being in the family of God to all people. To all people. Not just the people of Israel, but to all people. And he says, nations you haven't even heard of are going to come into the family. And at the end in Revelation, every tribe, language, and nation is going to be there at this, this great, great banquet. That means you and I are invited. And, and, and it's so easy. Children can come. People in any nation can come. God is saying, you've got to trust me in the middle of distress because I know what I'm doing. Now, interestingly, when, when Isaiah wrote this, his own people didn't respond very well to it. And I think it might be for the same reason that sometimes Southern Californians don't respond so well to this. When you hear a preacher getting up here and talking the way I am right now and saying someday God's going to make everything right. I think sometimes they thought we don't want that someday. We want it right now. And in fact, especially when I've spoken at university campuses, this is the response I get. Religion is always like that. It doesn't deal with the right now. It always is talking about, you know, pie in the sky someday. I want something right now. Now, I'll tell you on one side, I just want to say that's dumb thinking. Because if, if this world right now is all there is, and there is no one, like the Bible says, who says, I know what I'm doing, you've got to trust me, and when I'm done, it's going to be really good. It's worth waiting for. If, if that isn't true, that, that God is leading somewhere and has a purpose for all that happens, that this world is an absurd world, and many of the deaths that we have seen in our families and among friends, it just, it's the existentialists are right, the world is absurd. But so, so the Bible says, no, 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 um, I am uh, going to complete things, but the message of the Bible is this, it's not just in the future. Something happens now when we bring God into our lives. Because I'll tell you that, in our world, I think we get the question wrong. We often think, when I really want to live well, uh, what is life about? What do I have to have so that life will have this kind of joy? When the real question really is not, what is life about? It is, who is life about? Now, you might say, oh, that sounds like just religious talk, Pastor Greg. Well, it's not. I think you understand it when you think of it this way. That the times you and I have the greatest joy in our lives are when our relationships are good. Isn't that true? Uh, other things can be sort of falling apart, but if the people we love, those are good, then life is okay. On the other side, other things can be going fairly well at school or in our business, but if a loving relationship is broken, it's not good at all. Because he's made us for a relationship. God's always existed in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's made us in his image so that you and I, we live when our relationships are good. And the main relationship we're made for, Isaiah is going to say, is for God. When that's not right, nothing is right. Seek the Lord, he's going to say. So I've been thinking, huh, 
how do I talk about this in a way that it makes a bit of sense to you? And, and, you know, my dad was here a few weeks ago, and it reminded me of a story that I think it's the earliest memory I have as a child. Um, I remember my mom taking me, we were in a different town, and she took me into this toy store. I remember it, it seemed like the biggest, this has to be the biggest toy store in the world. Now, it couldn't have been. It was West Virginia. So, you know, just no way it could have been. But you know how children are. Our eyes make us think it's, it's so big. And so when she was wanting to hold on to me, but I didn't want to hold on to her. So I shook off her hands. I went running around the, the toy store looking at all the toys. And then I looked out and I, I saw my mom walking out the door. I went tearing out after her and I saw her turn right and go down the hill and I went running as fast as I could run to try to find her. And then I thought I saw her turn down the street and I went down and I turned on the street and kept going and going until finally I saw her and I got up to her and it wasn't my mom. It wasn't. Uh, Chris, my wife will tell you, I'm not very visually observant anyway, but I think they might have been wearing the same color dress or something. But but then I was panic-stricken I'll tell you, at, at that moment, all those toys in the whole toy store wouldn't make up for what I really wanted and what I needed. I wanted my mom to be there. Now, I forgot, everybody went through the door in this 9 o'clock service said, did you ever see her again? And I said, no, I ne- never, never saw her again. Uh, well, I, well, I did, obviously. I, I don't remember too much about it. But I just want you to, to see that so many times as every human being is, is looking for happiness and joy, but we toy around. If I can, we toy around with putting stuff into our lives. And we, we think that's what's going to do it. And, and God blesses us so many times with some of the stuff He has made, and much of it's so good. But for this joy to, to begin, we need to seek the Lord. See, that's what Isaiah 55 is all about. The God that we believe in loves us with an everlasting love. He doesn't come into our lives to ruin our lives, but in the the midst of this world, as He is waiting to draw people to Himself, sometimes you and I go through hard times. In the midst of those, what we have to do is to seek God. And that's what I want to talk to you about briefly today. At the end of our National Week of Prayer, how Isaiah talks to us about seeking God so that we can have a fresh encounter with Him and know that He is there. I think Isaiah's words are for many of us who may come to church on a Sunday and believe in God, but perhaps you've never really met Him or known His presence in your life. I want you to listen to what Isaiah says about how you seek Him. I think for for many of us who come here, don't we often allow ourselves to get distracted, put other things into His place so that God still seems to be far away? We need to seek God again. How do we go about it? It's so simple. This message is so simple. But let me just show it to you. Number one, we seek God, Isaiah says, in verses 6 through 9, we seek God by calling on Him. We, we seek Him by calling on Him. Um, Isaiah, the preacher, the prophet, was a poet. Uh, what we have in Isaiah 55 is poetry. How would you like it if I preach poetry to you every week? wouldn't be very good poetry. His was good. But Hebrew poetry is different from ours. Uh, it has parallel lines so that you have one line and the second line explains the first. So he says in the first line, seek the Lord while he may be found. What does that mean? That means call upon him while he is near. So I'll tell you, if, if today 
in church right now, or when you go home and if something from my message sticks in your mind, and you say, I, I need to spend some time with God, I want you to remember this. What you need to do is simply call upon Him. I, I like the way that Isaiah puts it here because my own experience as a pastor is especially when I talk with people who haven't been to church very much. Usually what we talk about when we say this is you need to pray. But you know, a lot of people just are put off a little bit by the, the notion of prayer because they don't quite know how to do it. And I know this too. Even when you come to church and mostly it's pastor types who are praying Sometimes you get this idea that if I can't use the words that the pastor used, that's not real prayer. I guess I have to take a couple of courses at Fuller Theological Seminary so that I, my language won't be so coarse so that I can pray. And sometimes instead of us praying, we, we buy books and things so that we can say it just right, thinking that God might not listen to us if we don't say it right. I'm telling you, Isaiah says, okay, I'm not going to use the word prayer. I'm going to use the just common language for him. Call on the Lord. See, that's something all of us can do. You go to a restaurant. You call on the waiter. Come over here and take my order. Uh, you have a friend that you haven't talked with. Well, you pull out your cell phone and you call your friend. You know what to do, don't you? You get into real trouble at home and you call 911. A child can do this. Often, even Jesus says, children often do it better than the rest of us do it. You just call upon the Lord genuinely. What does it look like? I, I thought if I tell you what the language might be like, I'm doing the very thing that Isaiah says might not help you, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's something like this. When, when trouble comes, you just call on God. Oh God, help me. Or, or if God seems to be far, far away, you say, oh God, the pastor talked about the fact that you're real, but I've never experienced you. Somehow show yourself to me. Or, oh God, I have these things in my life. I know they're wrong. They're wrecking my life. They're destroying my marriage. They're destroying my family. Lord, I need help. I need your strength. See, that kind of thing a, a child can do. So you come to church today, and is there something deep on your heart? God says, I want to do something good in your life. I want you to experience that I am here and that I am real. Where do you start? Start so simply. Just call out to Him. Call out to Him and tell Him whatever, whatever is on your heart and in your mind. Second, when you call out to Him, uh, Isaiah is indicating that there needs to be some sense of urgency, some sense of urgency about it. Notice in that poetry again, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon him while he is near. See, while he may be found, while he is near. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, God is always present and, and available to us. But this language that he uses makes us see that if you're sensing that God would have you to do something now, you might not go to him tomorrow. It's not because he's not there, but I think it's because you and I become harder. And I, I wanted to say this again because in, in the years that I spent talking with university students, I so often got this sort of idea. Well, I, I think there's something true about religion. Um, but I also know that if you enter into this Christian thing, that it's going to make demands of my life. I, I know this. So I'm going to wait for a while. I'll wait till I'm older. 
Because after all, I don't want to ruin my life now. I want to, to wait till, till, and then I'll come to him. You know what Isaiah says to you? Beware. Now, I will tell you this. There are people who come to God, give their lives to God and experience God in their old age. But they're rare. We've had some this past month in our church who near the end of their lives responded to God and gave their lives to Him. So I'm telling you, God will receive you when you come to Him and cry out to Him and place your faith in His Son. I want you to know that. But it doesn't happen very often. We know about the thief on the cross, the one thief who said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But more people are like the other thief. We learn to become hardened toward God uh, I'll tell you this when, um, when you say no to God God breaks in and maybe there's something even now that you would have him to do or to give to him when you say no the next time God breaks in it will be easier to say no to him and the third time he breaks in it will be even easier the psychologist it's called gestalt theory it means we get these grooves in our brains that make it so that it's easier for us to say no the next time. Patterns of action. And that's why Isaiah says, when God speaks to you, you seek Him while He may be found. While He may be found. There is an urgency to it. So when you sense, is the principle, that God is near you and speaking to you, that He's calling you to respond to Him, that is the time to act. Now, uh, listen to me carefully. I think we are having an ever-growing problem with being able to respond to God because we have become so busy and we have created things that distract us from the lasting eternal things that previous generations didn't have. Um, Everywhere you go, you can be connected to everybody, right? And so everywhere you go, you almost can't stop long enough to listen and to seek God at all. So, because, oh, oh, I got a text. I got to get back to my friend. Oh, I got a Facebook message. I got to get back. Oh, somebody's tweeting here. I have got to get back and respond to that. Now, church is supposed to be this beautiful place where in the midst of all of that, you and I just stop for these few moments. Just stop for a few moments and listen to whether God's word has something to say to us. I know you can still hide your phone. Your iPad, I know, I know that, and I know you want to go to it. But there need to be these moments, and, and I pray I'll be faithful to open this word to you. There are these moments that we need to stop and say, Lord, is there something you need to say to me? Something is missing. And when we come to him and seek him, and we sense this is what he'd have me to do, there must be an urgency about saying yes. Now, one, one last thing under this point. I've been at this so long, I can almost hear what people are thinking. There are always a few people in church who think, oh yeah, you know, that's the way it is. I call it Eeyore Christianity. You know, like in A.A. Milne's Eeyore with, with uh, Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore, oh Pooh. Uh, back ten years ago, something happened in church and I said, no, God will never speak to me again. We get that idea. Let me tell you, if you are here today, God's word is coming to you now. I'll say it loud so you can hear it. God is speaking to you now. I am convinced that for every one of us who has come to church today, there is something that God wants to say to us. 
There's something he wants you to stop doing or start doing. There's some response to him. When he speaks, call on him while he is near. There has to be an urgency about it. If you're going to find that life, that joy that God wants you to have. Three. All right, when you bring God into the situation, there's going to be a radical turning around that comes with your seeking. Uh, Look at how he, he put it. So, the one who seeks him, let the wicked forsake his way. So he lets us know that those who are sinful are going to seek him. But you've got to forsake your way. And let the evil man forsake his thoughts. Now this is the part that scared you, right? That if you're going to bring God into the situation, he's going to be God. And that means things about us have to change. So if the positive side is there, that seeking God means that, that we're going to find life that God gives, the other side is there too, that that means that there are behaviors that are wrecking our lives. Sin doesn't just destroy others, it hurts us as well. And the way I've thought about it is this. You and I cannot seek God and at the same time practice or plan sin. Should I say that again? We cannot on one side say, well, I'm seeking after God while we are planning or engaged in sin at the same time. I'll just tell you my experience when, when I cry out, oh God, I need you, one of the first things that happens is something comes to my mind that I need to give to the Lord. Uh, when, when that comes to my mind, if I say, but I'm not going to give that to you, Lord, then I'm not seeking God anymore. Because I'm seeking myself, right? I, I've tried, how can I put this so that we really hear it? John Piper speaks more directly than I do, so I just stole a line that he used. He says, you can't seek God where he is not found in sin. Okay, illustration. This would be like a man who leaves his wife and moves into his own apartment because he's having a regular sexual affair alongside of his marriage. Then, one day, he misses his wife and his family. So he gets on his phone and he calls his wife and he seeks to get back into contact with with the family. Then she says, I hope she says, have you forsaken that other woman? And he says, no, I haven't, I can't. Then she will rightly say, then you are not seeking me. This call is empty. You will seek me and you will find me as your wife when you forsake her and all others for me alone, just like you vowed in your promise to me. You see, that's what God says to us. In all of this, uh, God's ways are different from ours. That's what he says. Verse 8, and he says his ways are always higher and better. We have this tug of our own human flesh. I want to do this. And God says, but it's better to live this way. I can't believe it, we say. And God says, you've got to learn to trust me. I've made you. I I know how you find joy in this life. And I know what I've promised for the future. Uh, Trust me because my ways are higher and loftier and better. Uh, Let me just try to help you think through what God might be saying to you about this matter of change and repentance. I say that you know deep down inside yourself right now what this means for you. I say that you don't need the preacher to try to say, here are two or three things you might investigate. 
We're human. We're made in God's image. You know the things in your life that are wrecking your life that don't please God. We, we know that if we really knelt down in honest prayer before the all-knowing holy God, there are some things that we just have to say, I know that doesn't please you. Here it is. I ask for your forgiveness. Those are the things that when you seek God, you must forsake those ways. Final point. In the seeking God, there has to be a trusting acceptance of God's pardon. I'm going to get to the good point here, right? Here's the shocker. Here's the shocker. When he says, let the wicked forsake his ways, let the evil one come to you. Do you see what he's saying? That God wants people with wicked ways actually to come to him. Why are, I want to see, wow. You know, that's what I'm, he wants people who have unrighteous thoughts to come into his presence. You know, Jesus said that. He said, I haven't come to call those who pretend that they're righteous. I've come for those who know they aren't. I, I haven't come for those who think that they're well. I've come for those who are sick. And when you come needing my help, I'll enter into your life and I'll transform you and I will heal you. And if you think... I'm too bad to go to church and to come to God. You are wrong. That is a lie. God's ways are higher than our ways. And one of his higher, most amazing ways is that he loves to show mercy to bad people. Just think about that. That's not a way that we think. God loves to pardon people who have done wrong. I don't want you to, verse 7, I don't want you to miss that word freely. He will freely pardon. Uh, the word itself could mean abundantly. There's more than we even need. He will abundantly and freely pardon us. And it's really letting us know that this is what God loves to do. Uh, God's heart overflows toward you and says, I love to forgive you. How much does God love to show mercy to you and me? He loves so much that he sent his one and only son. How much did Jesus just love to come to you and say, oh, there are things wrong in your life. I want to show you mercy. I want to remake you. I want things to be different. He loves it so much that he gave his life in our place on the cross. This is the gospel. Another of the Old Testament prophets wrote about this. He was astounded by it. Micah chapter 7 verse 18. One time he would just say, who is a God like you? Who pardons sins. Who forgives the sins of the people who are his. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. Can you believe it? The God who made the universe, the holy God who has never sinned, is ready and loves to welcome people like, like you and me. The Apostle Paul, who, who always considered himself the worst of sinners, you know, he would try to explain this. He said, I'm praying for you, that, that you will have the power to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. It goes beyond human knowing. It goes beyond human dimensions. It's greater than any sin any of us have committed. And all he wants us to do is to receive and accept his pardon by receiving him into our lives by faith. Why would anybody say no? Why would anybody say no? I know it's because we know we have to die to self. And we don't want to do that. As much as we mess up our own lives... And, and God has much better ways for us. 
we turn down the greatest. Don't do that. Seek him today while he may be found. Either for the first time, run into his arms, or if you've been walking away from him, run right back into his arms today. You can't miss the point that he says you must receive the pardon. It has to be accepted by faith. Those who come to him, he will have mercy on us. There was an interesting legal case in our own country back in the 1830s. Lawyers, you probably already know this, so don't tell the person sitting next to you what happened. It was the 1830s. It was of a man named George Wilson. Uh, Wilson was put on trial for what was then called robbery with violence. Um, and it was a capital offense back then, and he was convicted, and he was sentenced to be hanged. Now, shortly before Wilson was to be executed, President Andrew Jackson granted him a pardon. But Wilson refused to accept it. So Wilson's attorney ob- obtained a stay of execution. And his argument was this, you can't execute a man who's been pardoned. It it, it was such a complex thing for our courts back then in the 19th century that it made its way all the way up to the nation's Supreme Court. And it was Supreme Court's Chief Justice, John Marshall, who recorded the verdict of that court. And here I put it here so you can see it. A pardon, Marshall wrote, is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in the court to enforce it. It may be supposed that no one being condemned to death would reject a pardon, but the rule must be the same. Now, are you wondering what the end of the story is? Got to come back next week. I'll tell you. It's unbelievable. George Wilson refused the pardon. And he was executed by his own choice. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It shows how in legal affairs it's not enough just for forgiveness to be offered to you. You've got to receive it. You, you, know, you know the application of this, don't you? The God of the universe loves to show forgiveness and mercy to you and me and he wants to remake our lives but we must receive what he has done and when we, when we do he invites us into this great, great celebration it begins now it's a celebration so stupendous it's even better than let's say the White House would invite you to their biggest party and you'd say, I, would you go? You'd say, well, it depends on which party is in power. Probably some, I know you. I know our, our, our people. So let me pull it into Southern California. What if the A-list of our stars at the Oscar night invited you to their party? Would you say, hmm, that's my bowling night? <laughs> or women, whenever people, you've been invited out for a date, oh, I've got to wash my hair tonight so I can't. <laughs> of course not. You, you would clear your calendar. You'd get your best clothes. You'd, you'd buy new clothes. And, and so the God of the universe invites you to come to him. And, and yes, it, it means a remaking of your life, but it's better. And as challenging as some of the moments in this imperfect world will be, at the end of the day, it's going to be what Isaiah writes about. It is going to be beautiful. Because when we come to him, 
You know, we have this re-entry program here in Southern California now where people who've gotten out of prison get to, to come and, and, and sometimes people have a parole officer. So, so God says, I won't leave you alone. I'm not just going to send you back to the streets, back to your former way of life. Am I ever going to give you a parole officer? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to walk with you. And when you feel those temptations to go back to that old way of life, I'll convict you and I will empower you through this parole officer of the Holy Spirit. I will empower you so that tomorrow can be different from yesterday. That is the gospel. That is the good news that brings us here today. Why? Why would anybody refuse this? I'll end with verse 6 again. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let let the Spirit of God work in your heart even now. Is there something in your life today that you know you've got to bring God into? Is there something that for a long time you've sensed that is something I would have you to do? It might be for help in overcoming a temptation. It might be a first time really knowing Him as your Father. It might be a cry, a call for help, for guidance. You're wondering what's the next step I should take? Why don't we end by calling on the Lord together? Uh, For those who can, I know in the balcony you can't, but for those of us who can, let's pull out our uh, kneelers in front of us. I'm going to be calling Pastor Annie to come up here in just a moment so that we can pray together about some matters that are facing us as a nation and as a world. But just as Annie is getting ready to come, let me lead us. Our Father... We call upon you. Father, show us areas of our life that we need to bring you into. We know you are near. Your word has gone forward. Father, are you calling some people to a new place of service? Are you calling any of us to reconcile a relationship? I can imagine that even now you're calling many of us to forsake wicked ways. We call upon you, Father. We bring you into our lives. Help us to experience you in fresh, living in new ways. We are ready to respond.